What's up everyone? This is Dariusz Kalbarczyk, co-founder of MG Poland, JS Poland, AngularMaster.dev and WorkshopFest.dev. Welcome back to Angular Master Podcast. Today, together with Carol Rickson, who works as a TLM of Aurora team at Google Chrome, former Angular technical lead, we will talk about optimization. I am also pleased to announce that Kara will be one of the speakers at this year's NG Poland conference. We will provide more details shortly. Hi Kara, how are you? Good, how are you? Uh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Okay, so for those who don't know you yet, please tell us uh, about yourself. Uh, well, I'm Kara Erickson. I live and work out of San Francisco, California. Um, I am a senior software engineer at Google. Um, I've been working there for six and a half years now, and I'm now working on the Google Chrome team, specifically on a project called Aurora. I see. Let's talk about the Aurora project then. So the Aurora project is a Google Chrome project. Um, so obviously, as a browser vendor, Chrome has invested quite a bit in the web. We want the web to be successful. Um, so it's really important to us that the web ecosystem is healthy and thriving and fast because we want it to be accessible to everybody. So uh, in the past, Chrome has tried to reach developers Uh, more individually through outreach, you know, educating about best practices, writing blog posts, that type of thing. Um, and that has been somewhat successful. However, that, that approach can be limited sometimes because if you're reaching individual developers, even if they know the best practices and they want to incorporate them, you know, organizational priorities don't always make that possible, right? Um, because you also have business priorities and, um, The web is also changing really fast. And so it's even if you do know the web best practices, like they might be different in a few months. And so it can be really hard to keep up with um, like the latest and greatest browser features. Um, so we know that a majority of web developers out there are using web frameworks at work. So the idea of this project is rather than trying to reach developers individually, um, Instead, we work with open source web frameworks that the majority of web developers are already using and bake best practices into those web frameworks um, and try to focus on setting strong defaults. And that way, you know, even if your organization doesn't really have the time to invest in performance or um, even if they don't know what the best thing to do is for performance, um, just using the web framework is enough for them to be successful. So, um, yeah, so functionally what that means is that we uh, collaborate with framework partners. We work with like Angular and with Next.js and with Next and other frameworks to make this happen. Awesome. But why Google is investing in this space? It's important to us that the web is actually fast. So performance is one part of developer experience. In, in general, it's important to Chrome that people um, use the web, people enjoy using the web, right? And um, so we want to focus on developer experience on the web. 
And so the first thing that we are focusing on for developer experience is performance because that's a big part of it. Um, so the reason that they're investing in my team is that um, our team can help the performance and the developer experience on the web by focusing like kind of in the right place, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Well said. Let's back to Aurora. So what it means that um, a collaboration between Chrome and open source web frameworks and tools? Yeah, so functionally what that means is um, we have certain framework partners. So, you know, Angular, for example, and I, there's a few different kind of levels of partnership. So with, with Angular, historically, um, we've had more of a consulting role in that, you know, we consult with them about performance best practices and what, you know, how to make sure that the framework is doing what the web platform recommends. But this year, we're really excited because um, we've kind of decided to do a deeper collaboration together. Um, so what that means is direct code contributions from our team. So rather than just consulting, we're also actively contributing code to Angular and um like helping experiment with partners and we're very like deeply involved in all these projects. So, um, so yeah. As a big fan of Angular, uh, I have to ask you how Aurora connect to Angular. <laughs> this is the most important question for today. Uh, yeah. Well, as I was, as I was saying, you know, we're, we're trying to work with them more this year. So um, if you look on Angular's public roadmap for, for this year, you can see that there's some Aurora projects on there. Um, specifically, the ones that we're involved in are things like uh, image optimization, improving like the loading of your images on your websites. Um, we're also working to improve the Angular story for server-side rendering and hydration because that's an area that's been kind of, I don't know, under-invested in historically. And um, we're starting to talk about other efforts that could be um, good for performance for Angular, like uh, the loading strategy for third parties, because that can be a big performance bottleneck, and also how we can improve change detection to be a little bit um, more performant and understandable. So how can we use uh, this Aurora knowledge to optimize um, Angular app? Well, uh, <laughs> so when these projects complete, <laughs> like the best thing you can do is try try out the things that we build. <laughs> So um, when the image directive is actually available, you, know, you can try it out and hopefully that will boost your performance numbers. Um, but I mean, in, in the meantime, I can give you some general advice, like performance advice. Is that kind of what you're looking for? Or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sure. Um, so I guess the, the first thing would be, you know, if you're not already benchmarking your website um, and looking at your core web vitals, I think obviously that's a great place to start. Um, I would run your website through webpagetest.com. I think that's one of the best tools out there. Um, also, of course, there's Lighthouse, which is fantastic, and Chrome DevTools, also fantastic. Um, but regardless, like you want to have some sort of lab-based analysis as a, as a basis for, um, as a baseline before you start actually trying to change things. Um, and then also, if your site is in the top I think it's like 4 million origins. You also have access to the Chrome UX report, and that will give you field data as well as, in addition to lab data. So that's like rather than one specific run, like what happens, 
you know, if you run your code on your machine one time, which is what a lab test is, um, the field data will tell you what your actual users are seeing in aggregate, and that can be also really helpful. So, um, so once you have all these numbers, you can figure out, okay, which, which core of vital is, is the site struggling with, if any, and then that's kind of a great entry point for you to figure out like what optimizations you should be doing. So um, I guess an example, so like, let's say your site doesn't have great LCP. So LCP, I think, as you may know, is largest content full paint. Yeah. Um, and so you want that to be, you know, as soon as possible so that users see something useful on the screen. Um, so if you, if your site didn't have great LCP, the first things that I would check would be things like, you know, is your, is your app using server-side rendering or Angular Universal? Because um, rendering on the server is a great way to, you know, sh present something as quickly as possible to the user. Um, I'd also make sure that um, if you have images on your page, um, that you know which images are your LCP images, because um, the majority of LCP elements tend to be images. And so if you, you know, know which ones are your LCP images, you can optimize them. So you can add preload tags or pre-connect to the image origin. Um, and Chrome also just released this feature called priority hints, where you can even set the priority on the image tag itself to high to make sure that it loads super fast if it's the one that's going to be, you know, the most important to the user. Um, and then kind of along the same lines, for images that aren't visible right away, you want to do the opposite, right? So images that are below the fold or if they're hidden by like a carousel or something, you want to lazy load those. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, I could go on and on, I guess, about different optimizations. But I guess like the, the big point is, uh, you know, make sure you're measuring your core web vitals. Um, and using those tools. And then there's there's so much low-hanging fruit um, that we see um, from tracing sites out there. Um, but long-term, what we want to have for Angular and for other frameworks is to have these features built in so you don't have to check this and check that and then check this and then check that. Um, just using the framework should be enough. So. Okay, awesome. What are the performance issues your team focuses on? Can you tell me more about the Angular image project and what it aims to address? In terms of what the team focuses on, I guess I'll, I'll start with that question. Uh, we have a few main areas that we're focusing on right now. Um, so one is obviously image optimization, as I was just going on and on about. Um, another, another one is script loading. So a huge issue that we see across the web is that um, people are, you know, adding third-party scripts to their websites, and those third-party scripts are either, you know, being loaded too quickly or at the, at the wrong time, and they block rendering, or um, maybe, you know, there's just quite a lot of third-party code, and so then you end up with a, a giant amount of JavaScript that's being run. Um, so our second big focus is, you know, trying to figure out how we can work with frameworks to get a better experience working with third parties so that you don't, you know, accidentally shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> um, so that's another big area. Other things that we work on, fonts is another big area for, you know, performance bottlenecks. So if you're, um, you know, 70% of the web, something like that is using Google fonts, but, it, you know, it's surprising when you have such a big, you know, swath of the web using something, but, you know, you see that a lot of people aren't are still not using best practices for it. So I guess an example of that would be, 
you know, you should be preloading your fonts um, where, where you can. You should be trying to, you know, inline the font, um, some of the font style sheets so that you're not making more than one request when you don't need to. Um, you know, I guess other other areas are, you know, making sure there's not font related CLS. If you're switching to a font fallback, you know, if your fallback font is a completely different size than your your web font, then you see yeah. some layout shift, which isn't great. So I guess, yeah, image optimization, third party, third party code, fonts, I'm trying to think. And then, oh, and then there's also just rendering in general. So server-side rendering and hydration and that, that whole story of... <laughs> exactly. Uh, so your second question was about the Angular image project. Yes. So basically that, that directive is trying to address some of the common issues that we see with image optimization. So as I was talking about before, like... Um, you should really be lazy loading images more aggressively. So obviously you don't want to lazy load your LCP image, but um, anything that you don't see right away should, should probably be lazy loaded. Um, so um, we're, we're building a directive. That's kind of what this image project is, like the, the core solution of it. And the so the directive will lazy load your images by default because, you know, most of your images should be lazy loaded. And then you can kind of, let us know which image you think is your LCP image and opt it out of lazy loading. Um, but it kind of gives you, you know, the right behavior by default. And then for, you know, the special case, which is your LCP image, um, there's an opt out. Uh, and the directive will also warn you if you're doing things that we know will de-optimize your performance. So if you're doing things like, um, you know, so if you mark your LCP image and you're not preloading it or pre-connecting it, we know that you're not doing as much as you should be doing to get that to load quickly. So we'll, you know, show you a warning for that. We can also warn you if you're, you know, you're not sizing your images. So if you don't have the width and height attributes, that's a big no-no because then you're going to get into that situation where, you know, like the image loads and your whole layout shifts down and you, know, you click on the wrong thing, which is always really frustrating. Um, and eventually uh, we plan on kind of expanding the feature set. So, the first version of the image directive might be pretty, uh, you know, pretty lean, just focusing on loading. But we also want to move into areas like supporting responsive images. So one thing that we see all the time is people either not setting source set and sizes to serve the right sized image for the device, or even if they're doing that, they're, you know, they're setting the sizes attribute incorrectly because the syntax is actually kind of hard to get right if you don't know what you're doing. Um, so what could be really cool is if the image directive handles that for you. So um, if you give us, you know, some basic configuration information about what you're trying to do, it can set source set and sizes for you. I guess it's also worth noting that in addition to these projects with frameworks, we're also kind of using these experiences building with frameworks to inform or to kind of uh, create a feedback loop between frameworks and the web platform itself. So, you know, I'm talking about, oh, like we should uh, set sources and sizes for you because it's like kind of difficult and confusing to do on your own. Um, as soon as we start doing that, we're just, oh, you know, we should talk to the Chrome team that's responsible for this and see if there's something we can do on the platform to make that easier. So that's kind of like the second big part of our role. Uh, okay, so next question is, what is INP, the interaction to next paint? So INP is a new experimental metric that just came out, um, it was just announced. And it's, it's not a core web vital yet. <laughs> it's not 
Um, so, you know, LCP, CLS, and FID are still the three main ones. Okay. Um, but it's an experimental one that we um, are starting to test. But I mean, I, I could tell you a little bit about what it measures, if that's helpful. Yeah. Or so you can kind of think of it as an extension of first input delay, if you're already familiar with first input delay or FID. Um, yeah. The difference yeah, what, is that... What is uh, difference, yes, exactly, between this um, INP and FID? So with first input delay, it measures specifically input latency. So what that means is it measures, it starts measuring when the user interacts with the page. And it stops measuring when the main thread is available enough to start running the event handlers. So, uh, but there's a few things that happen after that before the user actually sees anything. So if you, you know, think of the whole timeline from the user interaction to when the user actually sees something painted on the screen, input latency is only a part of that duration, right? Because, um, it stops when the event handlers are able to run. But then there's also, you know, the processing time of the event handlers, and there's also the delay uh, between when the event handlers run and when a, a frame can actually be presented to the user. So, you know, processing time and presentation delay are not a part of first input delay. However, uh, interaction to next paint takes the whole duration into account. So it's, you can think of it as kind of like a superset a first input delay. So okay. it's input latency plus processing time plus presentation delay. Um, so it's a lot more like broad in its scope just in every interaction. And um, first input delay also just measures the first input delay. <laughs> and uh, interaction to next paint takes, again, a broader view. So it looks at all the interactions on a page until the user leaves the page. And um, it picks one of the worst latencies that it that can be measured of, out of all of those. So th those are the, the main differences. Okay. So why INP is uh, relevant to frameworks and uh, how Aurora and frameworks are working to optimize uh, responsiveness? So, you know, when you are thinking about interactivity, um, you know, Mostly websites will use JavaScript to implement the interactivity on their website, right? So anything that is JavaScript focused is going to be relevant for, IM, for IMP. And web frameworks, as we know, <laughs> tend to be pretty uh, dependent on JavaScript. So, uh, so frameworks have a lot to do with the types of things that will affect IMP. So some examples would be event handlers. Frameworks often will wrap event handlers with their own logic. So an example is like Angular does this. If you write an event handler, Angular will, will, will wrap it to do things like uh, marking views dirty for on-push change detection. Um, and so the way that the framework handles um, wrapping event handlers, like how, how much overhead it adds is super relevant because of course, Unlike FID, IMP measures event handler duration. And also frameworks tend to be more involved in how scripts are loaded, more opinionated about it. So um, since third-party code is a, also a huge part of JavaScript execution, how the framework handles third-party code, how the framework handles things like code splitting, they're, they're all relevant. What other frameworks are you working on? Like uh, in addition to Angular? Yes. 
we we also work fairly closely with Next.js. Um, historically, that's actually been our, our main collaboration because um, we have we have a bunch of features in Next.js uh, that have come out. For example, um, to handle like third parties in Next.js, we already have a solution. It's called the script component. And um, if you use the script component in Next.js, it will make sure that your third party script doesn't block rendering, which is pretty great. And it also has like integrations with party towns so that you can, you know, defer your script to a web worker, a um, bunch of experimental uh, stuff like that. And uh, Next.js also has an image component, which is kind of similar to the image directive that we're working on with Angular. So kind of a lot of the same ideas with Next.js. Um, and then lastly, we are working with the Next team in the Vue ecosystem. And that collaboration is kind of you know, just like starting to take off. So there's a lot, um, lot to come there. Um, how does uh, JavaScript affect uh, INP? So I guess the, the main thing that you would need to think about is, you know, how JavaScript is being processed on the main thread and how much JavaScript is being processed. Because so I guess both FID and IMP uh, are concerned with the availability of the main thread, right? Because that that's what causes latency. Um, but unlike FID, IMP um, has some additional concerns. So um, I think I mentioned before event handlers, right? So if your framework has a bunch of event handler overhead, that's something you need to think about. Um, if your framework, how your framework is doing hydration is also really important because hydration is usually a fairly heavy JavaScript activity. And so how efficient it is at that is really going to affect your rendering and how much the main thread is blocked. Um, I guess a, a good example of, you know, how frameworks are trying to tackle this is, you know, with React 18 and its server side or, you know, its server components, right? They're trying to uh, break up hydration so that, you know, individual components can hydrate um, in smaller chunks. So that's kind of an example of a, of a yep. mitigation there. Um, but even outside of frameworks, um, you know, application developers should be looking at, you know, do you, do you have really heavy event handlers? Are you like doing a lot of intense computation in your event handlers? Do you have a lot of event handlers? Are you are you looking at you know heavy things like scroll? Do you have inputs that have focus handlers and also you know key down and key up and you know that kind of thing? Um, and then I guess th there's also the usual suspects that block the main thread. So you know if you're not optimizing your JavaScript because you're not using code splitting or lazy loading, like you just have one monolithic JavaScript file. Obviously, the longer your script is, the longer it's going to take to complete. Um, and then, you know, as I keep coming back to you, obviously, third party scripts can be problematic as well, because especially since you're not in direct control of it, you know, they can kind of they can set event listeners for you. So maybe your third parties have really extensive event handlers that you don't know about. Um, and, you know, they might be running at weird times, you know, to block rendering. So, um so yeah, no, there's there's plenty of ways that JavaScript can affect IMP. Okay. Uh, how Aurora and Angular addressing INP issues? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we are actively starting to address these issues. Um, so part of the roadmap that we have with Angular this year is specifically meant to target um, IMP issues. So the best example of this is probably the hydration project. So 
um, I can tell you kind of like a, you know, like a high level, we haven't done any real design yet, but I guess the, the idea is um, if you're using Angular SSR, it doesn't really have, you know, what you would call, you know, real hydration, right? Because the, the idea of hydration is kind of um, that you would take the existing DOM that was presented in SSR, right? So you already have, you know, all of your DOM elements presented, and then the framework would go in and kind of, you know, negotiate their data structures with the DOMs so that they are in sync, right? It's just kind of like matching your framework state to what state you created on the server when you initially rendered. That's how hydration is, you know, typically works. But with Angular, I think uh, that part was never really built. So um, it's destructive. So when you use Angular SSR, um, it'll present the DOM to you, you know, like the fully rendered DOM. But then um, on the client side, rather than hydrating, it will just like destroy the DOM and start over. So it's not really, you know, real hydration. And so it's a little bit more heavy than it needs to be. Um, so the idea is um, trying to figure out how to turn it into more traditional hydration. And then also there's a bunch of, you know, low hanging fruit in terms of usability for SSR, just because a lot of websites aren't using it because there's some things that are a little more difficult to use. Sorry. So to get back to your you know, initial question, uh, improving hydration is a really uh big part of improving IMP. So that's what we're working on with Angular. Um, we're also planning on exploring improvements to change detection because, you know, it's kind of easy to shoot yourself in the foot with change detection if you don't know what you're doing. Um, like if you're not using on push, if you have a bunch of event handlers, especially with third party libraries, and you're not running them outside the Angular zone, there's a bunch of ways that you can make change detection kind of run all the time, which will block the main thread. So we're trying to figure out how to how to improve that. Okay. In October at NG Poland conference, uh, you will talk about how Angular, or more precisely, its new directive deals with the um, optimization of image. Uh, what else we can expect? Well, I mean, I, I think at the conference, I will mostly be talking about the image directive okay. directly. Um, but... I, uh, in, in terms of other, other, uh, projects, I mean, I, I guess the hydration project, the change detection project, those are fun things coming up. Um, but I think we'll only be talking about image optimization at the conference. So. Perfect. Perfect. But who, who knows? Maybe something else will come up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It was my, my last, uh, technical question. Uh, I have one more, sure. uh, one book you can recommend to our listeners. It can be technical Ooh. or non-technical. Ooh, non-technical too. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Why not? Um, okay. Uh, can I can I do both? Can I do a technical book and a yes. non-technical book? Perfect. Okay, cool. I feel like I'm cheating. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for the technical book, oh man, there's so many really good ones out there. I think the most recent one that I that I read and really liked was Responsible JavaScript by Jeremy Wagner. Um, he also works on Chrome. He's a really smart guy. It's um, it basically gives you the latest and greatest uh, performance advice if you're working in JavaScript. Um, I really think everybody should read it. It's fantastic. Also, um, Adi Asmani just he just published a book about web development. I can't remember the name. I'll have to look it up. But um, that's another one that I just read that is also amazing. So I think those would be my top two technical recs. 
Um, for non-technical, um, I'm a big fantasy fiction nerd. <laughs> so I would say if, if you haven't read Brandon Sanderson, I would highly recommend the Stormlight Archives series by Brandon Sanderson, but um, it's also a very popular series. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Possibly already read it, but. Perfect. So thank you. Thank you so much for today's conversation. And yeah, and I'm looking forward to see you at NG Poland. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be so fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One more time. Thank you so much. Thank you.